this is it, Deuteronomy, the fifth and final book of the law. This concludes the first section of Bible. We had to end this with the Israelites safely in the Promised Land, which shouldn't be too hard, as when we left them, they were pretty much there. But let's quickly look at the clues the names of these five books have given us. Okay, we started with Genesis. Genesis means the origin or formation of things. Then we had Exodus, departure of people. Leviticus, uh, Latin for and he called or something, so meaning it's a load of rules. Uh, we had numbers, means numbers, innit? And remember all that counting and the 40 years in the wilderness? Yeah, numbers. Uh, which leaves us with Deuteronomy, meaning copy or repetition. Brilliant. Uh, so, more repetition. And it will be no surprise to you to find out that over half of this book, literally recapping what we have learnt so far. Let's get into this. We open with a little previously on section and Moses telling his people to get themselves onto the land of the Canaanites, which of course is their promised land. Moses also tells us that he will not be joining them. Wait, what? After all that, Moses won't be joining? He's not... De oh, don't say he's gonna die. Surely Moses isn't gonna die at the end of this? He, he does. I'm sorry to have to tell you that right away, but Moses doesn't make it. To the end of this book. I mean, he pretty much does, but there's about a sentence afterwards which he doesn't make it to, even though he wrote all of it, but we'll get to that. So Moses is telling them that even though he won't be joining them because of imminent death, they have made it, and there are a shitload of them, just as had been promised. Also, Moses quickly points out that only God can judge them. Well, I say only God. God and me. I can also judge you because me and G-Dog tight. Next up, we have some more recapping and a little bit of chat about giants that might be demons. Oh, okay, okay, I know, I know. I very clearly pointed out that giants were only mentioned once in all of Bible, and this is the third mention we get. The most irritating thing about this is that recapping a war with giants is implying there's a much better story out there, just sitting around somewhere that they are choosing not to share with us. Right, I, I admit it, gang. I was wrong about giants only being mentioned once. I told you I was wrong when they were mentioned the second time, and I'm telling you again now they're mentioned the third time. I'm sure I'll tell you once more on the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, and so on, right? Because chances are they will be peppered throughout this book and forevermore. They'll be peppered throughout all of Bible. It seems to be saying that there is a meta text here. Bible is happening adjacent to a huge giant-based narrative. And I reckon if we try ever so hard, we'll be able to piece together the true meaning of Bible, which is giants. But after the small giant aside, we get some bragging about all the towns the Israelites have fucked up along the way. Like real charming tales like, remember that battle the other day? Oh, hells yeah, we utterly destroyed them. All those men, women and children, all that rape and pillaging, that God said was fine. He, he said it was fine. That's how I understood it, yeah. He's changed his tune, hasn't he, from the whole Sodom saga? Nah, mate, nah, that, that was, uh, that was different. Yeah, Pro probably. Firstly, ages ago, wasn't it? Secondly, they were gay, so probably that was what he was going on about. 
rather than the rape thing. Yeah, rather than the rape thing. So, okay, let me get this straight. No, sorry, no, you can't get this straight. All this casual chat about rape is making me hellishly uncomfortable, so we should probably just brush it under the carpet and try our best to forget all about it. Yeah, you're probably right. So after this, the first and most horrific incident of what happens on tour stays on tour, it is reiterated that Moses, remember him, is definitely not going to see the promised land, but his son, your friend of mine Joshua, will. Next up we have God saying that no one is to add to any of his commandments, which makes you wonder what the rest of Bible will be doing. It, it can't all just be repeating these opening five books, can it? But yeah, don't add to them and follow them. To put this into some kind of context, we get another list of examples where God has fucked up some people. A little bit of flex to make sure everyone stays in line. We are told to teach our kids the rules and all of this history. Even that time God told us to rape all those children. Well, not that bit, obviously. Now, all of this is happening next to the River Jordan. The other side of that river is the Promised Land. The poor Israelites are chomping at the bit to get there, but have to go through all this rigmarole of revisiting all of the rules. Yeah, this includes going through the Ten Commandments again, then reiterating the whole be bad and God punishes to the next four generations, be good and God is cool for the next thousand generations. Doesn't go into the mechanics of this at all, so we don't know if the one act of shitty to God will ruin the subsequent four generations regardless of what they do. Like, if there's a God-fearing uh, man, his next a thousand generations are golden regardless of what they do? Or, or does it mean that that moment you personally do a thing you are judged, which renders the whole generational praise or punishment redundant. So what's the point? In this very specific instruction, so good they named it twice, if your personal actions are what you're judged by, and they must be, otherwise why bother telling your children these rules, then the four generations or a thousand generations are consistently and constantly being reset. So this idea is meaningless. But they bang on a bit about God being jealous and merciful and equal measures, list a few more people God has fucked over, tells them to show absolutely no mercy to their enemies, and then spends the next seven verses just saying all this shit over and over. But then, in yet another move where Bible's sort of more progressive brother seems to have taken the reins, we get a little throwaway rule which says that every seven years you must ensure that no one owes you money. So any outstanding debts are just forgotten about. If this seems unfair to any of you, don't worry, the person who owes you money has more than likely already been stoned to death for eating the wrong fucking bread. This rule is to ensure that there are no poor. Also, right, if you have slaves, which God is fine with, remember, if you have slaves, on the seventh year of owning them, you have to let them go and give them lots of stuff. This is reminding them of what God did for them uh, in Egypt. This seems an out of character nice thing to do. Now, please understand, any law which starts with, you know you've slaves and I am fine with you having them, yeah? is not gonna be a perfectly nice rule or even a slightly nice rule. But when compared to the other mental shit that's been going on, it's just, 
It's straight up an abusive relationship, isn't it? If you imagine a deity applying the game to their chosen people, this is what you get. But yeah, let slaves go after seven years. After this outpouring of compassion, God ensures everyone remembers Passover and that they are all pricks, each and every one of them. Makes everyone pretty much recite all the rules that have come before, and the numbers 7, 3, and 40 are being repeated for pretty much everything, in a way that strongly suggests the desired readers would have a full understanding of what these numbers mean. I don't. My layperson self is deeply perplexed by them, but it feels important. Oh, yeah, right, there's a new rule. After being reminded that if you praise any of the other gods that clearly exist, you'll be stoned to death. After that strained out, if two people say you are guilty, uh, of anything, presumably, you are guilty. See, that's uh, straight, straightforward enough, isn't it? Um, not sure if it's altogether fair. I mean, I am sure, and it's not. But yeah, two people think you're guilty, you are. The priests will only get involved if it's a bit complicated. After what feels like a damned lifetime, we get some more new information. We're told that once they get to the promised land, which is just over the river, don't forget, once there, don't start acting like the natives, yeah? God points out that I will be sending a prophet for you lot, and he will be just like me. Okay, how will we know he's like you? Because he will be saying the kind of shit I say. And you'll know it's the kind of shit I say, because the shit he says will be true, like what I say. Okay, brilliant. Um, but, right, what if you decide he should tell us something different to the sort of thing you usually say? How, how would we then know it is you? Well, that is a cracking point. Um, well, he'll follow all the rules that I've set out. Cool. Uh, so if someone comes along pretending to be you and doesn't follow your rules that you've previously set out, that's not him, and we should kill him like you've just told us to, yeah? Well, yeah, I, I guess, unless, of course, it is me. But if he's not following your rules and he's saying weird new shit, how on earth are we to know that it's you? I don't foresee this being an issue, so if you don't mind, I'm going to place my massive fingers in my divine ears and yell, la 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 la. Okay, this is all going swimmingly so far, so just a few more bits of clarification, and I reckon we're golden. Okay, so murder. You know murder's wrong, right? It, it's wrong. Well, it was one of the Ten Commandments, right? And has been reiterated, admittedly it's been reiterated in between orders to stone people to death, but regardless. They are told that they need to make three little cities outside of the town that they're living in, and these three cities are exclusively for murderers to hide in, just in case they murder someone and that person's mate is all angry. So they have a place to hide, like Murderville 1, 2, or... Three, presumably the angry party isn't allowed to go in there. Because I don't know about you, but if my buddy was murdered and I was looking for the guy for revenge, if he was nowhere to be found, I would hazard a guess that he's in the murder city. But eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, foot for a foot, pardon God? Yeah, yeah foot for a foot, uh, that bit won't be mentioned so much in the future, but I fucking love me some feet. Okay, just some rules for war, family, virgins, nuts, divorce and beatings, and then we can get on with some plot, okay? And get those poor bastards to the promised land and kill off a Moses. 
war, basically. Before you go and fuck up a people, right, you should defo try peace, but only for a little bit and then totally annihilate them. Like, absolutely butcher them. However, in your ceaseless brutality, make sure that under no circumstances do you damage any trees. So, that's quite nice. Family. Every now and then, right, fellas, we might be strolling around and see a lady and think, hell yes, I want to make that woman my wife. Well, worry not. It's really very simple. If you take her and shave her head, she is yours. It's literally that simple. So all the people moaning about not being able to find a date or women never being into them in that way and oh no, I've been friend-zoned and it's the worst. Uh, have you tried just taking them and shaving their head? No? Well, shut the fuck up then. Then goes on to say that you should stone your child to death if it's being, you know, just a balen. And hanging someone on land is a bad thing, which is perhaps foreshadowing. This serves no purpose other than a Judas foreshadow. Virgins. Okay, before we mention virgins at all, let's get one thing straight. A woman wearing man's clothes or a man wearing woman's clothes. Abominable. Absolutely disgusting. Fine. Let's assume this is 100% correct, okay? Brilliant. Now, what counts as man clothes and woman clothes? Does this mean whatsoever society has gendered the clothes counts and fashion changing means this law changes? Or does it mean the clothes at the exact time the law was stated count and we must stick to that? And if the second one, what about types of clothing that were invented after that time? Do we get one chance to gender each new item of clothing and then it's set forever? And I have no idea what they were wearing at the time. Pretty sure no one had shorts. So let's look at this. Are shorts inherently male or female as wearing the wrong gender's clothes is an abomination? That clearly implies that every single item of clothes must be gendered. So what about like fucking socks? Every bugger wears socks, which means half the world's population must be an abomination. But, and here's the kicker, we have no fucking idea which half. Also, this makes shit really tricky. If you wear the wrong gendered clothes, you're an abomination, and it's been made clear that you are, according to God, right, there are about six separate genders. But it doesn't explicitly mention the different dress style for each gender, which seems a dick move. You're evil if you say a number other than the one I'm thinking of. Well, what number are you thinking of? Guess. It's a trap. After the clothing debacle, uh, we learn that if a man lies about a woman being a virgin, he has to pay a hundred silver, and then something about him being stoned to death, right? Now, God feels the need to reiterate that if you've got a damaged cock and or damaged balls, or if you were born out of wedlock, then you cannot enter heaven, nor can your next ten generations. Once more, we get an example of God seeming to get a little carried away and want to blame someone for someone else's crime. If your parents, not you, your parents, decide to have sex which leads to your creation, I think we can all agree that none of this is in your control. And if you're born without those two deeply selfish people not getting married, or if your mum is on a third marriage, but we'll get to that in a second, then you, not them, you, are banned from heaven. It's like being in a club, your friend has a little too much to drink and vomits on the bouncer, and then they decide you should be thrown out. Or maybe you're in a club and your brother is caught in the toilets drinking a pint of an amalgamation of strangers' piss, simply because he was told that he wasn't hardcore enough to do it, and the bouncers then throw you out. We 
again get some weird generational rules that I'm not sure if these ones work alongside or supersede the other ones. Either way, I think I'm going to have to take a long, hard look at my father and grandfather's cock and balls because it's what God would want. But of course, he doesn't want that because you're not allowed to look at your family members naked. So how in the fuck am I supposed to know that anyone within the past 10 generations of me had adequately undamaged cock and balls? It can't be done. And if you take into account that a lot of the people in the last 10 generations of me are now dead, then that means their cock and balls have necessarily stopped being not broken because they've rotted away because their corpses are corpses and rotting or burnt in a cremation. So does that mean someone in the previous 10 generations from me has damaged cock and balls because they're dead, therefore their cock and balls being dead are damaged? It's not clear is what I'm saying. Anyway, divorce. If you don't like your wife, divorce her. That way, she gets another go at marriage. Not a third, though. You get two goes around, and then that's it. Next, beating. If you must beat a man for his sins, make sure that you do it no more than 40 times. I, I can only assume this means 40 individual hits as opposed to kicking someone's ass 40 separate times. But yeah, whatever it means, and I'm guessing 40 doesn't mean a real number, probably means just fuck him up a bit but don't like kill him, right? That is all you've got. We then get a rule which, I, I, I don't know man, like, it sounds kind of sus, like the author had a specific example in mind. Right, the rule's this, if your husband dies you have to fuck his brother. You see what I mean? This is too specific and sounds like a guy was jotting down everything he was told. Glanced around to his sister-in-law and thought, you know what, I've got a plan. See, I, I don't trust this one. There are other more sort of like mental rules in Bible, of course, but this is the biggest for sounding like the specific person writing it down and his, shall we say, thoughts on the matter were clouding his judgement. But in an effort to make it seem more godlike, he adds a clause that turns it mental. So don't worry, if the brother of the dead husband refuses to fuck his brother's widow, the priests will take one of his shoes away and spit in it. Does this make sense based on anything that's come before? I know God has implied he quite likes feet, but this seems just petty more than punishment. After this influx of extra rules, God goes over the sacrifices again because if nothing else, Bible loves it some admin. God then bangs on about all he did to get them out of Egypt, although firstly, his memory seems to gloss over how much harder he had made it for literally no reason. And secondly, I bet the Israelites wouldn't have accepted his help if they knew he would never fucking shut up about it. A reminder to keep each and every rule follows, then we return to some actual plot. Kind of. God tells Moses that once they get over Jordan, not, not you, you Moses, Moses obviously, obviously, you're going to die this side of the river, but your people. I know, you've made that abundantly clear, mate. Yeah, yeah but just, just wanted, wanted to make sure that you hadn't forgotten. forgotten. But when they get over there to the milk and the honey and they're not turning into the natives and fucking up some kids because Natch, when they are there, right, when they're there, they have to write all the rules down on stone build an altar to God where they can do all their sacrifices. Which sacrifices, you say? Well, this seems like as good a place as any to recap once more every single fucking thing we have so far learned. We have a couple more verses going through everything we've heard over the previous books, a bit of gloating from God saying, Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? They were terrified of me, weren't they? I am so amazing. Right, you lot, we're almost there. Moses is 120 years young. Defo not getting over the River Jordan. God will be with Joshua and all of them, though, so it's gonna be sweet. They'll get fucked up 
over and over again, but there's no need to be afraid. Irritated? Yes, but afraid? Nah. Moses tells Joshua to look after the strong, I have to assume the strong are all of God's people, not just the literal strongest ones, and then we go a bit meta as Moses writes down the law. This is Moses writing down the first five books of Bible, right, which are known as the books of law or the books of Moses. We've been through this, come on, keep up. So this book includes the narrative of Moses writing down these very books. I feel a bit sick, right? Hang on. He's also writing the bit which includes him dying, so we get a little more prophecy of all the ways God will allow his chosen people to be fucked over because <sighs> reasons. Uh, we get a long list now of all the reasons the Israelites are dickheads. God's chosen people. God lists everything he hates about them. Imagine how much he must hate the rest of the world. This is unnecessarily cruel and mean, full of threats, and finishes with a song. That's right, God has written a hate anthem for his chosen people. Essentially going, you are rubbish, and I think you smell. If you disagree, you will go to hell. Childish, lame, cruel, prick. Moses is told he must go right up the mountain. So Moses gives a shitload of blessings to the 12 tribes of Israel, explains that he's on his way out, and makes his way up the mountain. God shows Moses the promised land. Again reiterates that he's not going to make it, and Moses dies. This is the last time God ever directly speaks to a human. For the rest of this book, God takes a much more standoffish approach. And what a downer to end with. True, the chosen people have got to the promised land, but Moses has died. And they stayed on the bank of the Jordan for so long. I reckon there was plenty of time for him to have struggled across the river to the promised land, but God didn't want that. And there we have it, my friends. That concludes the opening five books of Bible. This is the books of Moses, the books of the law. Next up, we'll be moving to the massive section referred to as the narrative. So that should be a bit better, shouldn't it? I can hardly wait. Sleep tight, you lot. Thank you for listening to A Better Bible. Now we need you to spread the word. Rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow the Twitter in the episode description and let us know how we changed your life, why you love us, how you need us. Share this with the world. Evangelize like a bastard. <laughs> you stupid.